0: Uh, Great to see you. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Phil and um, we are going to be continuing our series uh, this morning looking at the book of Ephesians together. But I have come here this morning with a plan of action. Um, But to complete the plan, well, I need some help. I cannot do this on my own. So I need at least one of you uh, to come and help. It might take two people and I will also need some kit as well. Uh, Now the nature of the plan is that whoever volunteers you need a measure of practical skill, which I realize does rule some of you out, and that's okay. Um, And you will also need some physical strength. So I wonder, is anybody willing to get involved in that plan? I have one person in mind particular, because I know that they have done this task before, therefore they've got a track record and some experience with it. Um, Anybody willing to take a leap of faith uh, with me? It's a sermon illustration. So, you know, at the end of the day, what can go wrong, uh, really? Anthony, you are the skilled person that I had in mind. So come, just, come, come forward, Anthony, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enlist you a little bit here uh, to help me. My plan, sorry guys sitting at the front here, you're going to lose me for a minute. I'm going to sort of disappear this way. My plan actually uh, is I would like to remove uh, this door from its frame. Okay, it's a sermon illustration. Okay, it's more about the principle than the practice. We don't need to worry. So, Anthony, as you look at that door, um, what would you need in order to remove it from its frame? Okay, so will this do the job for you? That'll do it, will it? Okay, so if I gave you that, you could now remove the door from its frame. No, you couldn't. What would you like to go with it? You'd like a driver, would you? Okay, so as it happens, my mysterious bag, I have got a driver here. So there you go. Um, would you like now, do you think you could now uh, remove, you don't think you can? So is something not right? Okay, I'll tell you what, just give me a part of it back. I'll have that, but I'll get you, I'll find the battery for you. It's just, uh, it's, here we go, look, I remember to bring it with me. So there we go, I think that goes in there. I think you probably know how to do that. Good work. So, could you now remove the door from you its frame? <laughs> that's a very good point. I think so. Uh, yeah. So, would you like to? Would you like to proceed? Could you do? Oh, you want this back as well, do you? Okay. So, actually, you need all three parts. Actually, that's 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 the illustration. You can take you can take a seat. Oh, hello, chair. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. So, look, the point of that is that sometimes. We have plans, we have intentions in our lives, but the reality is we can't always complete them on our own. We need other people. I needed, Anthony, if I was to take that door out of its frame, he and I probably even on our own couldn't do it, could we? I imagine it's pretty heavy, uh, that door, but we also need some kits. And what I want us to see this morning is that we have already got the kit and the people that we need to get the job done. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, as Tom and Andy have explained over the last couple of weeks or so, awaiting trial in Rome. He was right at the end of his life and when he wrote this letter, and I'm not going to expand on this too much because they've explained it very well, he's not addressing any particular issue. He's really kind of setting out his knowledge and his experience, what he understands, his theology of God, if you like, for us all to benefit from. And this morning we get to chapter two, the first half of chapter two. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, Ephesians chapter two, we're going to read the first 10 verses. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow it on the wall behind me here. The Bible says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature to do. I just want to reiterate something that Tom pointed out last week, which is really important, that when I'm using, when everyone uses the word you, in the context we're talking about the book of Ephesians, we are meaning it in the plural sense. So what we're hearing here is a collective thing. It's not an individual thing. That's important to understand that in our kind of Western context, where we think very individually. He was writing, Paul was writing in a collective plural sense of the word you. And so what I want to do for a moment, I just want to frame a bit of context context around what he is writing here and the first and most important thing i can say to you i think is that we as his people we are core to god's plan and his plan is far bigger than simply removing a door from its frame There's a repeating theme through these early chapters of Ephesians one, two, and three. And I just wanna pick out some phrases from these chapters just to kind of set a bit of a scene as to some of the things that Paul was trying to explain to us. Chapter one, it says, he chose us in him. That means the father chose us in Jesus Before the creation of the world we were chosen according to the plan. You get into chapter 2 verse 10 we've just read for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. His purpose it goes on is to say was to create one new man. It's like the ultimate collective. We are fellow citizens and members of his household. We are Being built together, a dwelling in which God lives. The Gentiles, that's us, we are heirs together with Israel. We're members of one body because you get into chapter 3, verse 10. It says his intent is that through the church, that's you and I, Jew or Gentile, male or female, young or old, slave or free, city or united, white or black, rich or poor, leave or remain Through you and I, the wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. This is the great plan of God, to bring all things under the headship of Christ for the sake of his glory and fame through all of time. Amen? Amen. Father, I want to tell you, I love your plan. We love your plan. We love the fact that you, you wrote it all down. <laughs> you gave us your word the means by which we can see what you've made us to be and what you intend in the future, what you want to see in ages to come. Father, thank you that you've included us. And I pray this morning as we seek to just get our heads around and to be invigorated again, stirred again by truth, that you have made us to be a part of this because of the work that you've done in our lives. Father, would you do that this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. You know, it's a plan, I I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of that plan. I want to see the dominion of Christ. I want to see the rule of Jesus spreading across the earth. I want to see peace between neighbours. I want to see joy on the faces and in the hearts of those who are oppressed. I I want to see love and dignity and kindness. I want to see those whom God has made honoured for the way God has made them, do you want to be a part of that? You know, if you're following Jesus, you are a part of that. So, what is it? What is it then that God has done in us to make the completion of all of that possible? Now, clearly, we have one another, and I think more will be said about that in the coming weeks. But We also have, if you like, some kit, some bits of equipment from God to enable us to do this. What is it that means that we are absolutely integral to the plans that God has for all he has made? And there are two things I want us to see from this passage that are fundamental to our participation in this great plan. The first of those is that we are no longer dead. You are not <laughs> you are not dead anymore. Now I'm not just talking about physically, am I alive or dead? Maybe actually it would help if you just maybe pinch the person uh, next to you. OK, just to make sure that everyone's OK. I don't need to dial 999 <laughs> or anything like that. Now before we finish this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to give you a spiritual pinch. When we were dead in our transgressions and sins, which is all of the stuff which is anti-God, it's the time when we followed the kingdom of the air. Some translations name him the prince of the air, Satan. When we were walking in disobedience, we gratified the desires of the sinful nature. We followed its desires and thoughts. Our destination was wrath. When he explained it, when Paul explained it to the Romans, he said that the wrath of God would deal with their godlessness, their wickedness, their stubbornness, their unrepentance. And all of that had come into the world through the actions of one man, Adam. It caused death to reign over humankind. But then what this passage here in Ephesians tells us, in no uncertain terms, is this, that that was our very nature. That which was fundamentally the makeup of our beings. In verse 3 it says, we were by nature deserving of... Of God's wrath our entire existence was determined by our sinful nature a sinful disobedient nature that meant our actions our thoughts our emotions were being determined by they were controlled by the ruler of the kingdom of darkness I mean there is no sugar coating this I can't make it seem less bad than it actually is our entire existence was anti-God. Now you may be hearing me and thinking, how rude. I'm sure that we all know people who are yet to experience the power of God's grace and, and yet at the same time they're really wonderful people. They're best of friends, they're responsible employers, they are supportive colleagues, they're loving family and they are they are those things I'm I'm not taking that away from them or or from you but we have to remember again Paul wrote to the Romans he said you know all have sinned all fall short of the glory of God when we were in that state we were not alive we were dead we may have been moving around we may have been sucking air we might have been eating food but we had the appearance of life. There was, there was nothing there. And this is true for every person from the moment they're born. But it's not easy. I tried to reflect on this. Like what, what does it feel like to be dead? I mean, you can't, you can't imagine it, can you? You can't picture it. You, you know, you're know, you alive. They're not compatible. You can't be both things at the same time. A few weeks ago, I, I woke up one morning. I must have slept really really deeply because when i woke up i could move my right leg but my left leg is basically completely incapacitated i felt like i felt like i needed to lift it rather than being able to move it on its own it was so intense and and i lay there for a few moments thinking what has happened to my leg I can't move. You know, in that kind of half awake, half asleep, and you can't really process things. Have I become paralysed during my sleep? I'd obviously been lying with one leg on the other. And i I tell you, it's not exaggeration, it took about an hour and a half for it to come back to normal. I, I, I had a dead leg. Now, I think, obviously it's not being dead, is it? But it's a little bit. Like that, you know, the, the limb was numb, it, 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 was, it was cut off. I think that's what death is like. It's a bit, it's like being numb, it's being cut off. It's not just about not having any meaningful use, but it's about actually, it ends up being a weight that you carry around. You might be sitting here right now, and you're thinking, am I dead, or am I alive? Do you ever get the feeling of just being cut off? Do you get a feeling of like, I feel a bit numb? Not sure what my use is. If you're dead, I'm gonna tell you, I've got good news for you. There is new life here for you today. For other people, it might be a bit gray. You know, that you've been made alive. You know you've received new life. You're a new creation and your identity is in Christ. You're seated with him in heavenly realms. But it's like, am I alive? Before I spiritually pinch you, I want to remind you of something. I want to get the blood moving in your spiritual veins and arteries. Because if you know Jesus, You are a recipient of grace through faith. I want to tell those of you who don't yet know Jesus, you can be a recipient of grace by faith. And what that means is that you switch kingdoms. You switch from a dominion that is ruled by death to a dominion that is ruled by hope. You know that you are part of all of this plan because you have changed kingdoms. You have gone from one to the other by grace through faith. You have gone from dark to light, from lies to truth, from death to life. The switch has happened or it can happen now by grace alone. Let me explain what grace is. Grace is the unmerited favour of God. To put that in other words, It is the kindness, it is the goodness, the generosity, the mercy of God that we receive without prejudice or condition or right. There is no reason why we should receive grace. We are not deserving. We have not earned it. We cannot pay it back. But it makes a transformation of life possible today, tomorrow and forever. Sometimes to grasp the enormity of the scandalous audacity of grace. Sometimes we need to see it from the grave that we lived in beforehand. Remember, we were dead. I'm not, I'm not one of those Christians whose perspective is trapped by the grave. I, I don't think we should be like that. Let's be wary of spending too much time reflecting on how sinful we were you know if you know Jesus you are a new creation we should live in our new creation status and we'll say some more about that in a few minutes but we are wise I think to have in our hearts and in our minds a perspective that is like from the tomb we want to see it from the way we used to live it helps us to comprehend how enormous the grace of God actually is some years ago we were on holiday, I think we were in Belgium. Now, that may come as a surprise. People do go on holiday to Belgium. It might only be us, but we did. For some reason, we thought it would be interesting to visit some caves. Now, regular attendees here will know that Claire and I have some history with regards to being on holiday and going into caves. If you want to know that story you can ask Claire, she'll be happy to share it with you. It's on a podcast, you can re-listen to the story. On this particular occasion it was in fact permitted for us to go into the cave. Not just permitted but they actually charged us to go in. (laughs) One, One of the reasons that we were willing to pay to go into the cave was that there was an underground lake as part of the tour and so you'd get on this boat and you'd go across this lake in a cave i mean sounds interesting right i mean look it was it was good you get to kind of see more of the rock um but you're on water now our eldest daughter hannah she would have been probably three or four at the time and she quite was quite enjoying this whole thing of going underground uh, and you're being on a boat underground and all that kind of stuff It was quite it's quite interesting until someone decided that it would be quite theatrical to Switch the lights off. This bit Hannah did not like. Oh my life. Did she squeal the noise? Imagine you're on water, you're in a cave, you're on a boat and she is wailing and running around trying to find her mum. The good part of it was that we can't see the reaction of the other people on the boat (laughs) because it's pitch black dark. You can't see anything. And you know what? There was no such thing as a mobile phone that you could light up a torch on. It was just darkness. Now, to be fair to the people who ran the thing, they may have warned us about this, but I don't speak Flemish, so who knows? We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Honestly, as far as Hannah was concerned at that moment, you could have been murdering her mother. So the relief when the lights came back on Was so intense. She calmed down, and the way I like to remember it is that everyone else was completely chilled about it. At that moment, the light was freedom. The unmerited favour of God is the means by which we are brought out of death, the wailing, the struggling, the uncertainty, into life and light and peace and assurance. Verse eight in this chapter, it says, it is by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I'll be completely honest with you. I am slightly intimidated to speak on this particular topic. And the reason for that, well, the reasons really are multiple. Probably the greatest is the fact that there is a measure of heavenly mystery in all of this. The work of grace in our lives, it, it, it's no way dependent upon us. It, it solely relies upon the sovereign, loving actions of our Father and the activity of Holy Spirit within us. Our regeneration from death to life can only be completed by a working of grace. We can look for it, we can desire it, we can ask for it, but we can't make it happen. But happen it does. C.S. Lewis recall the time when this grace caused regeneration caused new life in his own life. He said this, he said, I know very well then, but hardly how the final step was taken. I was driven to Whipsnade one sunny morning, sounds great, and we set out. I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. Yeah, i had not exactly spent the journey in thought nor in great emotion our salvation by grace through faith is a it's a two-part action there is a miraculous regeneration by grace being one part and the other part being faith and for most people who come to know Jesus, these, these two parts are so closely linked that it's, it's almost impossible to separate them. Faith is the supernatural response to grace. We are born again, that is, we're regenerated, we're made new, and boom, faith is released. The release of faith is then the outward evidence of God's inward work. It's a bit like the drill and the battery. They work best together. We can say then that we are saved by grace through faith because we have been miraculously brought into new life by the sovereign work of Holy Spirit and demonstrate faith in Jesus. That is to say that we trust him to provide a place us with him in eternity I want to take a moment I wonder if you will do this with me because this is utterly foundational to our entire existence as God's people that this is what the father has done in each one of us and I want to give us a moment to respond to him we'll come and worship some more in a little while But just where you are, I'm going to pray in a moment. I just want to give you time to say thank you, Jesus. Say thank you to the Holy Spirit that you came and worked regeneration. Just allow the Holy Spirit to minister the truth of that again in your heart. Thank you, Jesus. We are restored. We are made new in you undeserving recipients of grace thank you god second thing that i want to highlight from this passage it speaks really of our part in this great plan so basically to say that there is a future grace by faith verse 10 the final verse of this passage we've been looking at here It says that we are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So I'll say that again in a small number of words as I can manage. I'll say the whole thing. God's plan has been to choose you before creation to do the things he had planned for you as part of his strategy to demonstrate his own glory. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, did he just say that before there was any earth or sky or sea or living thing in existence, that God, who would make all of that, would determine that we would receive grace by faith and complete the plans he had for us that would ultimately lead to the universal praise of his glory forever and ever? Yes, that is what I just said. And if we choose to believe this, and I think that we should, the implications are just immense for us. In some senses, you could almost say that this verse here is, is the kind of pivotal moment in Paul's writing to the Ephesians. He's, he's explained to them that's, that who they are and, and what God has done. And then he says to them, well, look, because of all of that, there's now this. And there's a couple of things on this, so I think the first thing is that this, is that none of this depends on our own effort. You see, what verse 10 is saying is that there are good works that has been prepared for us to complete. You know, being a disciple of Jesus, following him, obeying him, it's not a holiday, is it? You know I think most of us know that already. But at the same time, these good works that He's set aside for us to do are not the means by which we pay God back for the grace He has already given us it doesn't depend on our effort those good works result from a motivation which is grace passivity inactivity apathy they're just they're not part of god's plan we have been created in christ jesus to do good works jesus himself said it didn't he He said the kingdom of heaven has come near heal the sick raise the dead cleanse those with leprosy, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Our motivation is the grace we have already received and that we will continue to receive. Grace says that the cost of completing a good work never actually existed because it was never actually counted. I think we'd agree, wouldn't we? That the pinnacle of gracious acts was Jesus giving his life through crucifixion. Do you think that Jesus paused, stood there, weighed it all up, and he decided, yeah, it's okay, it's a good deal? It's a fair trade. The agony, the torture, the humiliation, my life in exchange for eternal access into glory for all of mankind. Did he weigh those things up? No, no such thought ever entered his head. His motivation was the joy set before him. Hebrews 12, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He saw what was coming way down the line a people gathered to himself for eternity. The exercise of grace is a compelling motivation because it teaches us that what is ahead is far greater in value than the temporary inconvenience, irritation, even financial shortfall that could result from a good work that he prepared in advance for us. The next time you're presented with the opportunity to complete a good work, that was prepared in advance for you to do, and I I can't tell you which ones were and which ones weren't, so work on this assumption. They all are. Just think about this. Am I taking this on? Am I taking on this opportunity out of a sense of duty or felt need to do the right thing? Or am I doing it because I believe that the powerful working of grace in me releases me to serve, it compels me to demonstrate grace in action, freely giving from that which I have freely received. Finally, the other thing that means that we can believe that this is huge in our existence, we can be confident that this is what God intends for us is in verse six. It's a new identity. Verse six says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to launch an entirely new talk here on our identity in Christ but you get the impression I think that Paul wants us to grasp Something in this sentence, four times he refers to us as being with Christ or in Christ. We were regenerated from our status of death, raised up out of the tomb by the working of his mighty power that continues to be at work in us today. And we've been given this special place in the cosmos, seated with Christ for all eternity. We are friends, we are brothers, we are co-heirs by him, through him, for him to him now we could stop right there and we could worship him we will do shortly and just enjoy that truth forever but all of this was done so that in the ages to come and that includes now that we would demonstrate the incomparable riches of his grace they would be on display by us we had to be made new we had to be transformed from our sinful composition because the father receives no glory from sin through the kindness of Jesus he did that our entire identity shifted and the result of that is the perpetual growth of the church those who are far from God come closer to him by the expressed kindness the grace that resides in his people. You may well look around you and you think, how on earth does this somewhat broken, somewhat maybe irritating, even ragtag bunch of people, change a world? Well, they have done. We are doing and we will always do because grace only comes from one source, you will not find grace anywhere else other than right here. Being placed in Christ by grace through faith means that our entire reason for existence changes for the better. Our salvation that happens at a personal kind of individual level, it actually means that we cease to live singular lives. Our life becomes wrapped up, absolutely integral to the intentions and design of God to bring glory to himself through a nation of people, that's the church. The work of grace through faith, faith, it, it frees us from the need to achieve things for God based on our skills, our abilities, our physical strength, our mental agility, because the foundation of our new creation existence is a gift there's no boasting the work of grace through faith creates a new identity It radically transforms our understanding of the world our confidence therefore in the expansion of his kingdom god has set you aside to partner with him in seeing peace and love and joy and honour and the dominion of Christ over the whole earth. I want to ask you to respond to that. I want to ask you to respond to him.